Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today is Jim Boyce, a professor here of New Testament at the seminary. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Good to be here. Jim, thank you for your essay on where did the Bible come from. Um, I guess nobody sat down and just decided one day, I'm going to write the Bible, and it's going to be the most important book in the world one Best-seller. day. <laughs> <laughs> right. How did these texts start to come about? Well, I, uh, that's a very fascinating question, and I think one of the uh, things that uh, is surprising is that there are a lot of things we don't know about uh, just how those writings came to be, but one of the things that that readers have sort of discovered in in investigations is that that a lot of the writings didn't start as writings but rather began as oral traditions mm-hmm. and the telling of stories uh they came out of the uh, one of the things that's fascinating to me is how they seem to have come out of the lives of of real flesh and blood people who mm-hmm. struggled with some of the same kinds of questions and problems and and joys and celebration that we do in our lives. And one of the things I think is helpful in thinking about how the Bible came to be is to, to think about how uh, alike the questions and the problems and the discussions that we find in the scriptures are like the same questions that we often Mm -hmm. ask. And the more we can see that point of contact, the more I think the Bible makes sense to us. So uh, it seems that some of these stories were gathered and passed on from from generation to generation until uh, at some point... uh, people began to write those stories down and to collect them, perhaps much like we might, uh, so that they don't get lost or because they are very important and you want to pass them on to the next generation. Yeah, I think that's really important, Jim, because I think we often look at the Bible as... Try that again. I think it's really important, Jim, because so often I think we we imagine people sitting down to write down a bunch of abstract thinking but what all they were doing was that their neighbors, their families had these big theological questions, questions about everyday life. And they wanted to say something about what God thought about their everyday life. And that's what they responded to. And generation after generation, as people passed it down, they found that these these stories and eventually these texts spoke to their faith lives. Um, that there's a sense of we're connected in that way all the way back to the very origins of these texts. Yeah. I think one of the f- fascinating parts of that, too, is sometimes these stories apparently uh, almost got lost. Uh, and we hear stories, for example, like the story of the discovery of the scroll uh, uh, in, at the time of Josiah in the temple. And people were kind of surprised to find these collections of writings. And suddenly there's new information or new uh, things that they learn about their ancestors or about what has been happening, uh, and it opens up new vistas. And I think that's often the way it happened with scriptures as well. Uh, on the one hand, we can say, you know, oh, that reminds me of another story, and you begin to collect stories. Or I hadn't ever thought about it that way, and you begin to think about different ways of of understanding uh, who God is or 
what God is about. And uh, it's kind of, I think, of the question that we find in, in the Psalms. You know, how can we sing the Lord's song in a new land? Well, w- once you ask that question, uh, then you begin to think about, oh, yeah, wh- what, what, uh, what are the ways in which we might be uh, open to hearing the, the word of God in a new key? And you begin to dream and you begin to envision new ways. And the scriptures, I think, as we read, are constantly opening us up because new situations invite us to think about new ways of understanding what God is about. And that's one of the things that I think is fascinating to think about in terms of how the scriptures uh, came to us uh, because they remind us also that uh, God is always about doing new things and leading us into new ventures and also those new ventures or new uh, ways in which uh, God leads us uh, make us hear or understand what God has said before in new ways. Yeah, And in this process of gathering these stories, we can end up with multiple versions right, of the same sort of variants. It reminds me of, you know, if you have a family story that says, well, I remember when Grandpa went fishing, and it was, you know, in one story it was on Lake Superior, right? And in another story it was on the St. Croix River. Um, but everybody remembers the sort of shell of the story, and then sometimes some of the details can switch up. Um, but the, the core of the story, right, the, the, the learning, the, the meaning to the family stays the same, even if some of the details sort of get fudged around. I think about the wife-sister stories, so-called wife-sister stories in the book of Genesis, where you have a patriarch who passes off his wife as his sister, right? And a couple of times it's told as Abraham, and another time it's told as Isaac. And, you know, it seems back in there somewhere is a memory that this happened, but exactly how the details um, are worked out uh, seems to have been a little fuzzy. Yeah, and even within the Hebrew Bible, you have these retellings, right? So you have the first thing in Samuel, first thing in Kings, and the first thing in Chronicles telling similar stories, but in a slightly different tone. Or, or even think about the gospel stories. So you have these four gospels telling one story in four, in some ways, very different ways. That And the people who put these texts together, who, you know, who started using these texts as groups, were not realized that there were problems in the stories, right? That they weren't exactly alike, and yet they still read them together, that there was still this conviction about God speaking through these stories, even in their differences. Yeah, one, that's one of the things that I've found fascinating is, is to hear in the stories and in the traditions um, that not everyone agreed about how to understand what God is about or how to understand what it means to be a child of God or how to live our lives uh, I think many people are are familiar with the arguments that go on, such as in the book of Job, over issues of how to understand suffering or pain. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you find in the book many of the common uh, opinions about how to deal with suffering are trotted out in the book, and, right. and in turn many of them are rejected as not being satisfactory. And so we're invited into that discussion, and it's a very modern kind of discussion because many of the uh, opinions that we find in the book of Job are some of the same ones that we uh, tend to uh, 
say to one another, even in our own contemporary uh, situation. Or another uh, situation that's fascinating to me is how the Israelites thought about kingship and whether it was appropriate to have a king. Mm-hmm. And I remember in growing up in Sunday school, and we always read the beautiful stories about this great King David, this child genius, and <laughs> uh, and all of the traditions about <laughs> about ahead. David. But I, no. I never forget <laughs> when right. I. It's the other side of uh, the story. <laughs> I never forget when I first uh, read those traditions about Samuel's anointing of a king and how. Uh, Samuel is upset because the mm-hmm. people want him to want to have a king, uh, and he goes to God in prayer, and God says, "Well, uh, you shouldn't be upset, Samuel, because uh, they've they've rejected me, and now they're rejecting you." Mm-hmm. And and that whole tradition that wanting a king is tantamount to rejecting God as their God. It's the people saying, oh, all the other nations around us have kings, so we want to have mm-hmm, kings mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the traditions about, uh, really with a sense of humor, as as Samuel says, okay, you want a king? This is what's going to happen when you have a king. And he trots out all of the things that are going to happen. Take. He's going to take, take your take and take. <laughs> he's going to take your sons, and you're going to pay taxes, <laughs> and you're going to have an administration and all of this. And the people say, we don't care. We still want a king. Yeah. And so then uh, when it comes time to anoint the first king, uh, Saul can't be found any place. But finally uh, Samuel runs and drags him out of the baggage where he's hiding. So you want a king to lead you into battle. Here's this great king who is so scared for his life that he can't even stick around to be anointed king. I I think those stories are just fascinating as you see the the competing <laughs> opinions about what it means to have a king and whether it is uh, to forsake God or whether God is leading you into this process. And yeah. similar things happen at the anointing of David when when Jesse can't even remember that he's got an eighth son who's out with the sheep uh, after he t- uh, trots all his sons out there. So uh, those uh, various stories throughout the scriptures invite us into a freedom and conversation about mm-hmm. the ways of God among yeah. us, I think. Sometimes you hear people say that, to think about the Bible not as a book, <clears throat> which is kind of hard because we have it between two covers, but as a library. that You have a whole uh, different set of books across different times with lots of different perspectives. Uh, and then the, the key for us then is how do we hold all those tensions together? And how do we sometimes recover voices that are often lost or we ignore or we can't really see because of certain perspectives we bring to the text? Um, I think that's the set of challenges we face in reading these texts. Yeah, I think I think one of the keys to that is that is that we do that. And I think that's true in terms of the how the Bible came to be. It was not just an individual uh, matter. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just individuals who who uh, decided they were going to write a book or whatever, but they they grew out of a living community and Mm -hmm. they took shape within that community and that community uh, kind of assumed that they belonged Mm -hmm. to the community and felt free to to adapt, to modify, to change, uh, to help those uh, writings to grow over the process of a living community. And I think that's important for us too today. uh, Those... Uh, conversations are helpful still and when still they happening, take yeah. place in community mm-hmm. yeah. where we see things and hear yeah. things 
uh, when we are in community that we might not hear or might not see if we didn't the, have that kind of context. And the other side of that, right, is that it's, <clears throat> I think sometimes we imagine this smoke-filled room where everybody gathered and decided what's going to be in and what's going to be out. And you point out in your piece that this was a really long process. It took a long time. And to me also, it, <clears throat> if, I think reading it this way, we realize it's more organic than we often give it credit for. It took a long time, and sometimes it was a reflection of just what people were reading, what people were thinking at different times. Yeah, what fed the community, what showed them who God is and how they could be in relationship to God. And it didn't end up as a rule book, right, where you just sort of open up. I mean, sure, it's got laws in it, but not. it's neither a rule book nor answer book. You know, any topic I have a question about, I'm just going to uh, look it up, right? But these stories like about Saul and about David are so engaging for the community. You can imagine that oral tradition sharing these stories of kings and then they crystallize later as time goes on and as the needs of the community present themselves. I think that fits very well with uh, the question of how we use these scriptures too. The more we can understand that dynamic and changing reality about the way in which the scriptures came to be written and uh, and uh, celebrated within the community, the more that opens up for us a kind of a freedom and a dynamic and how we use the scriptures. Uh, every every time I pick up the Bible and read it, this the texts aren't going to speak to me in the same way <laughs> as they might at a different time, and sometimes a particular passage of scripture will speak to me because of a particular situation that right. I'm in, something has happened, uh, or uh, sometimes someone says, have you ever thought of it this mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. Uh, someone mm-hmm. in conversation says, oh, no, I'd never really heard it that way. And uh, so in community, we are open to hear things that speak to us in a particular way at a particular time when at other times they may not speak in the same way. So it gives us a freedom to recognize that dynamic and living character of the word as well. In a sense, the Bible wasn't created by an individual. It was these communities of people coming together and ask these big questions. So in the same way when we pick up and read these texts, we don't read by ourselves ever. Even if we're locked off in a room, there's always this whole community of people gathering around us and traditions and cultures that um, we bring with us for the text. And I think there's a liveliness and a liveness of the text because of that. That reminds me one of one of my favorite stories, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's a great right? story. Because, <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> just because there's the eunuch riding along and, um, you know, he wants to know about this scripture. He can't seem to understand its fullness in the way that he mm-hmm. wants to mm-hmm. by himself. And so it's in that relationship, that, yeah. that moment, momentary encounter, um, that there's transformation and yeah. understanding. Well, it's striking too about that story is that here you have somebody with a, a lot of power, a lot of education, a lot of wealth. And it's as uh, the comparison I always draw to that story is imagine some diplomat reading top secret documents in a stretch limousine in the middle of New York City. And a homeless guy shows up, knocks on the window, and says, do you understand what you are reading? Now, the diplomat just just say, hey, get away, or something like that. But the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And I think that maybe should be the the posture that we take in reading these texts, is that we need someone else's help along the way, or... And we don't, I'm not, we're not talking about experts here. We're talking about everyday right. people sitting right next to us. Right. About reading together. Yeah. I think that also says that 
uh, that uh, we need to be not uh, um, too upset when sometimes we pick up and read certain portions of scripture and it doesn't speak to us at yep. a particular mm-hmm. time. It, it gives us the freedom to kind of set that aside and say, you know, maybe at another time that will speak to me. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of things in the scriptures that are rather strange or rather distant from us. And sometimes it takes someone to kind of lead us, Mm -hmm. as you say, you know, help me understand this. And sometimes when we don't have someone to help us do that or when things don't make sense, we just kind of have to set them aside and Mm -hmm. say, there are plenty of other things that I can understand uh, and to concentrate on those. Uh, I've, I've always liked the the passage in Second uh, Peter where uh, the writer says that there are a lot of things in Paul that are hard to understand. And like, <laughs> to say the least. Indeed, <laughs> yes. And, but then the, the next part of the sentence goes on and says, which the ignorant and the foolish pervert to their own ends. And, and I said, who are the ignorant and foolish who do that? Well, they're the ones who don't agree with us <laughs> in our interpretation. Right. So... Uh, I often say, welcome to the club. People have been arguing and puzzling mm-hmm. and, and fussing over the scriptures for thousands of years because they aren't, it isn't always clear what God is saying and mm-hmm. what God, mm-hmm. uh, w- where God is leading us. But we trust that, that the Spirit is right. with these writings and is moving in community and will lead us into a yeah. into a proper understanding yeah, of where God wants us to Inspiration understand. didn't stop when these people stopped writing. It's still continuing with us today. Terrific. Thanks, Jim, for joining us. This was really helpful, I think. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again 